Welcome to episode 38 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. Check out all the shows, search for STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Store, and you can download an app that will allow you to listen to all the episodes, check out the show notes, and share the episodes with somebody who you think might want to hear it. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member, veteran, and military family suicide. One of the aspects of suicide prevention that we haven't talked about is the role that lawmakers play in addressing this topic. We're glad today to bring on an elected representative to talk about how this is addressed at the legislative and policy level. Shauna? So Congressman Scott Perry is the U.S. representative for Pennsylvania's 10th Congressional District, who has served in Congress since 2013. Perry began his military career in 1980, quickly qualified as a helicopter pilot in the aviation branch in 2009 and 2010, and then he commanded the 2nd Battalion, 104th Aviation Regiment during its pre-deployment training and service in Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. He's also personally credited with flying 44 missions and accruing nearly 200 combat flight hours. Perry retired in 2019 at the rank of Brigadier General. Earlier this year, we joined a small group of military veterans who shared with him their deepest struggles. He was clearly moved by their stories and has dedicated himself to pushing for innovation in the area of trauma care. I'm really glad that we were able to get some time with Congressman Perry. Let's get into this conversation and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. Congressman Perry, you as a service member yourself, the topic of veteran suicide, suicide in the military-affiliated population, this is really important to you. It is. Each person that has served, and quite honestly, a lot of people that have never served have been affected by veteran suicides. They know someone uh, personally, whether it's in their family, in their, in their social group, and of course, in the military, somebody that you serve very closely with. And so uh, when it happens, it's really impactful. It hits really close to home. And of course, just the fact that veterans are doing it to themselves at this rate of 20, 22, something a day, depending, is unacceptable when you think that somebody has agreed to lay down their life for their country, for an idea, for an ideal based on orders, right? Might not even agree with the mission that they're willing to do that to safeguard the United States. And then only then after the fact, come home oftentimes and can't deal with the experiences that they've had, the pressures that they're under, living this life, having lived that other life on deployment and then take their own lives is just so heartbreaking to us. And for me, having had the privilege and the honor to watch the military's response uh, very uh, up close and personal from the standpoint of having to advocate for the policy, having to report on our success with the policies from the Department of Defense and seeing, quite honestly, the failures and the, the lack of, of efficacy uh, of that policy that is measured, that is counted every day and lost lives, just compelled me continually to keep looking for a better way. Let me be clear here, the military, DOD, the whole military community 
is seeking very desperately to find a solution to this. And it is something that is on the forefront of the minds of every person that wears the uniform. But I think, like me, I think many of us, even though they can't say it because they're still wearing the uniform, knew in our hearts that the policy was falling short of the goal. And yeah, certainly if we could identify somebody that had suicidal ideations or tendencies or just those thoughts, each individual soldier knew to intervene and would intervene and, and get engaged and, and try and help that fellow service member along. But let's face it, if you're having these problems, chances are, in many cases, you're not going to talk to anybody about it. And so somebody really has to be proactively looking for it. And even if you're confronted with it, you might deny it. And let's face it, if it were working, we wouldn't be having suicides in our veteran service court. I just felt like there's always a better way. And let me say this too. It has a stigma to it, to this PTSD, like somehow you're broken psychologically and, and you can't get fixed because psychological problems for us as people are hard for us to internalize and comprehend. We can't see. We can't see the damage. If you've lost a limb, you have an outwardly obvious physical uh, physical consequence of your actions on the battlefield. We can see that and we can see how it's being addressed, whether it's a prosthetic or something like that. But these, these psychological, social, mental, so to speak, issues, we can't see that readily. And so it has a stigma attached to it. And so the solution has a stigma attached to it, I think, as well, that maybe service members, A, they feel they're going to be embarrassed by it. They think they're going to be less than themselves by doing it. And everybody's going to know. And that quite honestly, at the end of the day, after they do all that, there's going to be no reward. They're, they're not going to walk out of the hell that they're in out on the other side. Not only are they going to continue to live that hell, but now they have this additional stigma on top of them. And so we offered legislation regarding this treatment, SGB, Stellite Ganglion Block, which has been around since the 1920s which is, a, for all intensive purposes, a treatment that works, where the service member can get the treatment and then they're open to, they're more receptive to the other components of treatment where you have to go into those things now. You have to get these treatments that the military is offering now and fail at them before you can be considered for this SGB. And so we just think it's a really important conversation to have. And we, and I think many veterans, are frustrated by the lack of urgency on behalf of the VA. And we just feel like it's our mission to absolutely make sure that every veteran has access to this. I've talked to veterans who have saved up their money and gotten on a bus from Alabama and then come halfway across the country to receive the treatment because they can't get it at their VA facility and they have to travel to get it. If you have to suffer the tyranny of cost, of time, and of other barriers, to get this treatment, you essentially can't get it. And let's remember, these are our veterans who we said, where Abraham Lincoln said, let us care for those who shall have borne the battle. Well, let's care for them, all of them, not just the ones that are close to an experimental treatment center. I think there are 143 or so veterans facilities in the United States. I think only 11 of them offer this treatment. And as well, right now, veterans still, many of them travel three, four hours one way for an appointment. And, and so it's just not accessible enough for people that are suffering. 
And I think that shows a very important aspect of the role of suicide prevention for us as a nation. As you said, we have a responsibility to those who served. And yes, there's a role for mental health providers like myself and Doc Springer. There's a role for community mental health providers, but there's also a role for legislators to be able to address this at the legislative level, to be able to pass legislation like the Stella Ganglion block, to be able to address this because you're coming at this from a different standpoint. Yeah, I, I am. And, and uh, what I'm trying to do is to facilitate legislatively the availability, the ease at which you and other mental health professionals can do your job, right? To add another tool in your toolbox. And, and at that point, we'll lead up to you, right? Because we are not the medical, we're not the healthcare practitioners, we're the policy people. But the fact that this tool is not even in your toolbox that obviously diminishes your ability to give the complete and the best and the fastest treatment to your patients that's readily available. And we know that's obviously out there. And quite honestly, this is a thing because PTSD is so prevalent. If you look at the numbers, even Vietnam veterans that are still with us now that having served decades and decades ago, 15% of them are still walking around with the, with the effects of PTSD. Shouldn't the Veterans Administration Shouldn't the military lead the way on this? Because let's face it, it's not just our veterans that suffer from PTSD, especially in a world where we, that we live in today where many people suffer the effects of a post-traumatic stress injury. Should, you know, but shouldn't the military lead the way on this? Because we have such a high concentration of individuals that are suffering. This is a perfect example to lead the way, get our veterans healthy, and show the rest of the world that this is available, it's effective, it is, it is cost-effective as well, but more importantly, it relieves the suffering that many people in their daily walk of life have to deal with. And I think that's something when it comes to, we say we want to prevent suicide, but suicide isn't the problem, there's the underlying problem. The underlying problem are these conditions, and it's interesting that you say about tools in the toolbox, another role that you have is really appropriations, right? The power of the yeah. purse. In that one of the challenges with suicide prevention is at the local level, there's not a lot of infrastructure. I do suicide prevention, but it's one of five jobs that I have. Right. It's not right. something that, yes, we have funding at the national level and the state level, but that's something else that legislatively that Congress does is to support the appropriations to ensure that the people on the ground that are working with the veterans have the resources they need. Yeah, absolutely. The resources cost money. We have made a commitment as a country to provide those resources, again, for individuals that, that sign their name on the line and pledge their lives in defense of the nation. And we do provide those resources, and it has to remain a priority. We just simply cannot accept th those unnecessary uh, deaths in, in our community. And when you talk about mental health, look, suicide is, is the end of the line, right? It's the end of the rope for these individuals. But and I'm sure you can attest to this leading up to that. This is there's drug abuse, there's alcohol abuse, broken marriages, broken homes, and a whole panoply of other symptomatic eventualities that we deal with in our communities and our families and in society because we have not been able to effectively uh, mitigate th these mental health aspects of PTSD. And, and from my standpoint, the funding needs to be whether it's the crisis hotline, whether it's the suicide hotline, or whether it's care for providers for mental health or whether it's for SGB, we want to make sure that we're providing the correct resources, enough resources to, to combat this, this very intractable problem. And to me, SGB is one of the most cost-effective ways 
to deal with it because it opens up the soldier's mind. It shuts off all the noise, all the screaming that doesn't allow them to focus on the other treatments that mental health professionals like yourself provide. And I think that's where a lot of the support from yourself, from lawmakers at the local level, of course, even city councils and state level, all the way up to federal level, being able to say what we've been doing isn't working. So let's try something else. Obviously, you're not trying to hand out soap or something like that, but things that have an evidence basis that can be proven to actually work, which I think is another role that, that I see from my level of what Congress does is you give a voice to this, right? A lot of people yeah. listen to the lawmakers when you go back to your constituents and you talk. And when you spend your time talking about suicide in the military population, people listen. And that breaks down a little bit of that stigma you were talking about. That's exactly right. We're not here to impugn the other treatments, even though some of us might see them as marginally effective. For some people, they are effective. And that's great. But we, we can't just stop at that, especially when we're not reaching the goals that we need to reach. And, and let's, let's face it. And, and so it's not here to impugn the other things. It's actually an enhancement in many cases. And we understand that certain treatments don't work as well on some people as others. But for the ones that it does, my goodness, why wouldn't we take a shot at it? No, you're absolutely right. And and as you said, anything that will reduce the burden and enable a veteran to address the the things, the military is an inherently dangerous occupation, as you know, from your service. And invariably, we're going to come across those kind of situations. And this is definitely a way to be able to do that. Any last thoughts on how Congress or how legislatively we address suicide in the military population? Again, I think it has to be based on the facts that we see. We got to earnestly take a shot at some things that we think are going to work, listen to the science, listen to the experts, and, and then put it out there in the field and, and find out what the results are. But we need, Congress has to, in this case, I think, have to be willing to work faster than the usual speed of the bureaucracy, right? Legislation takes a very long time. Understand every day that goes by, that this legislation, that funding legislation, that anything related to suicide languishes for any reason, anything that could make a difference every single day, 20 more of America's finest who pledge their lives are lost at their own hands. And that we simply, I think, have to assign a higher sense of urgency to our efforts here to find a solution that, that, that we can agree is actually working. And I, I just don't think, from my standpoint, we are not there by a long shot. And so that's why I'm just going to keep on pushing. I'm going to have a smile on my face, but I'm going to be urgent in my request that we get to it respectfully. But every single day, 20 more of our fellow service members are gone because we didn't complete the mission here. Can't do it. That is absolutely accurate. And it's a sobering point uh, that I think a lot of people don't consider. It's not something that a lot of people think of that Every day we delay is another day where we lose service members and veterans. Every day. I just talked to a gentleman today at an event, an Army guy, and we had our Army exchange and so on and so forth. And he's working on suicide prevention himself. And I talked to him about this. And, and, and it's just a, it's amazing what you find out unexpectedly. We're actually going to work collaboratively on this effort to continue to get the word out. So the important thing is to be vocal, to be polite, but to be forceful and persistent about this. Light and persistent. I like it, sir. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for your service and, and thank you for your continued service and your focus on this topic. 
Thank you very much for the opportunity and please spread the word. Suicide prevention is an important topic that needs to be addressed in a number of different ways, and I'm glad that we were able to have Representative Perry come on the show to discuss how Congress approaches the topic. Yes. One of the things that stood out is that he talked about how many of our Vietnam veterans uh, still have post-traumatic stress symptoms and about how many veterans are unsure that if they do step forward, they'll get real symptom relief. And this observation really makes me wonder how many service members and veterans have come to see the diagnosis of PTSD as something like a life sentence, something they'll always be impacted by, that they will have to continually seek support to manage. And this leads me to an uncomfortable but important question of whether perhaps in the field we've expected too little for too long in terms of treatment outcomes. You know, as a psychologist, and you know, as a licensed mental health counselor, that therapy can be game-changing, clearly. But what about those that are not going to seek therapy or who may not benefit for a variety of reasons? One of the themes in our podcast series across the expert members of the suicide prevention community is the clear consensus that there is no single treatment that works to prevent suicide for all people. And for this reason alone, Innovation in the field becomes critical to get people a variety of options. Continuing to push forward and exploring new ways to get people relief from suffering with innovative treatments like stellate ganglion block or ketamine or some of the other new wave treatments used in combination with therapy can help patients achieve and maintain long-lasting positive outcomes. Yeah, I agree. I see it in some clients who, who, like you said, they think this is something that isn't going to go away. Some admittedly, and we all know those that sort of don't want it to, that this is wrapped up in their identity, that this crazy combat vet stereotype sticks with them and they play up to it. And that is something that people don't realize that treatment actually can work, regardless of whether or not PTSD itself, the diagnosable condition is one that irrevocably changes some of the brain mechanisms, but we don't have to live with the symptoms for the rest of our lives. And I think that a lot of veterans think they do. And that's simply not the case. And, and that's one of the things that we probably want to get across here is that you don't have to continue to suffer, right? Pain without end or suffering like that, that there actually is things that can happen that can reduce some of those symptoms or all of them. Yeah, exactly. I think about like acceptance and commitment therapy, and there's a concept in ACT about understanding that maybe there are some challenges that will always be a passenger on your bus. But if you don't have any symptoms of that thing, is that really more of just a recognition, as you and I have talked about, of a potential vulnerability that you need to be aware of and monitor? Certainly uh, with PTSD, and I know you've seen this, some patients, their symptoms will wax and wane and ebb and flow over time and can be re-triggered. But if you have years of being asymptomatic, would we even say, hey, that's a a real major problem in your life right now? Um, Perhaps not. So I just want people to think about what is most useful to them in terms of relief and long-lasting relief. And the possibility is there for that. I've definitely seen that. And you have too. The The other thing that I wanted to pull out 
was this question of urgency in terms of the legislative process. Congressman Perry's reframe was very compelling to me. The point he made specifically that every day of inaction around passing legislation related to suicide prevention is associated with further losses. Before I spent the past decade focused on the military population, I did a decade of work focused on close relationships. When he made the point about the message that inaction sends, it made me think about the way in any relationship, the health of that relationship is gauged in large part by the responsiveness between two people in that relationship, their ability to hear what the other person needs, to see the other person's pain, and to respond. I wonder what if we were to think about the relationship between the American people and its legislative body as being like any other relationship. What would happen if we applied this notion in light of the point that Congressman Perry made during this interview? When I was at TAPS, we had some very effective people who pushed for successfully legislative progress in some areas around survivor benefits. And I'll never forget the joy that just welled up in the TAPS family when new legislation was passed. It was a confirmation of their pain mattering. And so I think about this idea that people who are irreplaceable are being lost every day. And the inaction around addressing this and prioritizing this communicates something to everyday Americans, whether intended or not. It's not just what we pass that shows our values, but the speed at which it is passed is also evidence of our values. And I think that Americans really need to see movement in response to the suffering they're experiencing due to the tragedy of our collective suicide losses. I really agree with that. I think about, I, I've worked with a number of lawmakers, as have you, and they're really busy folks, right? They, their time is obviously not their own, especially if they're in legislative session, especially even at the state level and definitely at the national level. And this goes to one of the topics that, um, that, that we brought out in the interview is one of the roles that Congress plays in suicide prevention is just if Congressman Perry and many of the other elected representatives are talking about it, then it's important to them, right? Because they have so many different topics that they can focus on. And so it's like one of these things of signaling the fact that this is something that I'm going to spend some of this, this very rare time that I have on. And so there is that urgency on the individual level. But I like that idea of we do things that are important to us in our relationships and we can talk about, and, and obviously Congressman Perry is very passionate, as are a lot of the other, all of the other lawmakers that I've come in contact with, but talk is cheap and, and action is what's necessary. And so I like that idea of the fact that I can tell my wife I love her all day long, but I have to sometimes <laughs> do some things to show her that I actually do care. And I think that's a good analogy that we can look at for our elected representatives. We appreciate everybody taking the time to check out the show. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS38, or by downloading the app by searching STMSS on the Apple app or Google Play stores. In the show notes, you can get the links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as finding the show on militarytimes.com. As a reminder, you can ask us questions and let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group, moderated by the outstanding D. James, by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. You can find out more about the work that Shauna is doing by checking out her latest book, Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us. 
and the work that I'm doing by checking out my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror, Mental Health and Wellness in Post-Military Life. Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to them in the show notes. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, we are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1. Chat online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution. And make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest shows. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.